Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation will recap the week that was, including a look at market drivers and thoughts on fixed income performance. Plus, we will revisit CIO's market outlook and, of course, preview for you what you can expect in the week ahead. Uh, Joining me here for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, both Frank Saleo and Barry McAlinden, both senior Fixed Income Strategists Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Frank Berry, happy Friday to you both. Welcome back and looking forward to our conversation today. Likewise. Happy Friday. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. Absolutely. So, Frank, as a starting point, I know it was another eventful week in the markets. Can you recap for us some of the notable events and speak to the factors that drove activity? Yeah, absolutely, Daniel. Uh, it was a very eventful week, and the events this week continue to illustrate the fact that the market is grappling with this sort of transitionary period, something I mentioned last month. Really, since the end of the summer, really, the overriding theme in the market has been one of transition, whether we're looking at economic trends or market trends or Fed policy. And, of course, these are all, all interrelated, but <clears throat> inherent in any transition, of course, is is uncertainty. Uh, Will this be a smooth transition or not? And of course, markets dislike uncertainty. And because of that, if we look at, for example, the S&P 500, it's really struggled since peaking uh, at a at a uh, peaking at a high on on September 2nd. It's really struggled. uh, Yesterday's rebound notwithstanding. So let's look, for example, at uh, the employment trends. If we look at the latest uh, uh, monthly jobs report, which just came out last Friday, I know we're reviewing events of the week, but this, the after effects of this report did carry out into the trading activity this week. The September jobs report showed that non-farm payrolls added 194,000 jobs uh, to the economy. That was well below the expectations calling for 500,000 uh, job gains. And it was also below the August gain of 366,000 new jobs. So, uh, you know, on Friday last week, this just began to add to the concerns that carried over into this week about whether or not the economy is losing momentum. Is, is the economy transitioning to a slower growth track and shifting down? But in that monthly report, the September jobs report, there were a number of offsets to keep in mind. First and foremost, the unemployment rate continues to decline. It dropped again to 4.8% this time from 5.2%. Also, if we look at average hourly earnings, they rose by a very strong 0.6% month over month. And hours worked also rose. So this supports demand growth. This supports consumer demand growth which is very helpful to the economy, of course. And then digging into job gains, uh, we did see weaker job growth in the leisure and hospitality uh, sectors, but that's most, most likely due to the Delta variant, which has begun to fade now so that the job weakness in those sectors will begin to fade. We could expect a, a, a rebound once again in those sectors. Meanwhile, private payrolls gained 317,000 new jobs, which is quite strong. So overall, the latest jobs report was strong enough for the Fed to begin to taper its quantitative easing program, but not so strong that they will hike 
rates more quickly. On the topic of the Fed taper, that also has been a major market focus since the summer. And this week, and, and again, in reviewing the events of this week, we did get the minutes of the September FOMC meeting, which were released Wednesday. And it gave us some more detail about the Fed's plans to taper their quantitative easing monthly asset purchases. The Fed FOMC uh, minutes, the minutes of that latest FOMC uh, meeting confirmed the market consensus view that the Fed will very likely announce a, a tapering of their monthly asset purchases at the next meeting on November 3rd. There was a strong consensus of support for that timing. Uh, also this week, we heard from another of uh, a number of Fed officials reiterating that view, including Fed Vice Chair Richard uh, Clarida, who commented this week that conditions to begin tapering have all but been met when we look at uh, employment specifically. And the FOMC minutes also, also show support for the specific tapering process. So we will see a transition in the Fed's quantitative easing plan. Currently, the quantitative easing program includes monthly asset purchases of $120 billion per month. And the plan is for that to decline each month steadily, decline by $15 billion each month. And this would bring, bring the purchases to an end by the third quarter of next year. And then lastly, the minutes of the FMC meeting released this week reiterated the message that tapering is not tightening. But, of course, there are questions about whether inflationary pressures may actually accelerate the taper, uh, excuse me, the tightening timetable. Will inflationary pressures bring the, the, the timetable for those Fed hikes sooner? And, and looking at some other uh, events this week, Barry, for example, uh, the price of WTI crude oil closed above $80 per barrel for the first time since late 2014. And we've also heard widespread stories about supply chain bottlenecks and log jams continuing this week, contributing to higher prices in a variety of areas. So, Barry, I know you have more, more color on this topic. Let me turn it over to you. Well, absolutely. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, I think part of the energy concerns uh, manifested themselves in, in higher interest rates, especially earlier in the week. You know, we, we began the week where, with interest rates uh, really globally having risen. And that shifted a bit after the Fed minutes that you mentioned, Frank, where we, we essentially saw a bull flattener in the Treasury curve. So we saw yields in two- and three-year maturities increase to a greater extent and actually saw a decline in longer 10-year and 30-year Treasury yields. So we had this flattening in the curve take place uh, you know, within the week, which was a uh, pretty notable dynamic and certainly influenced the pricing of fixed income uh, securities. Um, I would also just point out, too, certainly we began earnings. And, you know, once you have more bottom-up fundamental data points, it, it often helps when you're in this transition period uh, that you that you talked about and framed. And as far as the earnings go, uh, it's only very early, just the first uh, week. But I think it did give investors and market participants some comfort, um, especially in the financials and the banks that reported where, you know, we did see really eight of, or eight out of nine of them are reporting um, expectations that, you know, that outperformed. And it relates to um, comments about the consumer, you know, still very strong, some modest pickup in loan growth, really nothing too substantial yet. But, but overall, you know, pretty constructive views 
as far as how the economy is positioned. And, you know, just to summarize from the earnings perspective, you know, in the chief investment office, you know, we do think that this is going to be yet another, you know, very strong earnings quarter. I'm looking for earnings to beat expectations um, by uh, with growth of about 30% in the third quarter. Now that's down pretty substantially uh, from the 88% growth in the second quarter, but still very strong. Your revenue is expected to grow 15%. So the amount of the beats may decline, but you're still, you know, growing, um, you know, pretty, uh, pretty solidly. And from the earnings perspective too, I know in relation to supply chain bottlenecks, um, we don't see those issues really creating that much of a drag on earnings, maybe on the order of about 1% for the full year. So, so nothing too substantial. And as Frank let in related to energy, you know, energy costs really should not also dim the outlook for earnings either uh, as they become, you know, a less uh, important component to, you know, relative to the U S economy and, and overall earnings. So, um, so, Good to see, you know, earnings season in full swing there. Well, Barry, Frank, very comprehensive recap. And you think about this past week, you hit on everything from macro releases, Fed commentary, energy price movements, rate movements, a lot to keep track of. So thank you for bringing us up to speed as to how we got to where we are as of this morning. And maybe we can pivot a bit. I know at this point, we're maybe a couple of weeks into the fourth quarter, though it's never too early to take the temperature when it comes to performance. So with that in mind, Barry, can you speak to how fixed income markets have been performing, generally speaking, relative to your expectations, and then also curious about performance specific to the areas of fixed income that each of you, Barry and Frank, focus on specifically. Yeah, well, fixed income really is performing generally in line with our expectations. You know, heading into this year, we thought that interest rates, you know, would be a headwind for fixed income returns. And that's exactly what you're seeing, um, particularly in the highest quality areas of fixed income, like treasury bonds, agency bonds. Um, you know, with now negative year-to-date uh, total returns, even in investment-grade corporates at an index level, um, because bond maturities and investment grades span all the way up to 30 and, and sometimes even longer, uh, that's created headwinds because of the, the move in interest rates uh, where we're, we're seeing investment-grade in, indices down now 1%. Whereas the more credit sensitive areas like high yield bonds are up about four and a half percent. Um, there's a little bit more cushion income to, uh, offset the, the headwind that has also been evident, you know, in that asset class. And the floating rate senior loan, um, asset class has been among the best performers. Again, up about four and a half percent for the year, but it really has, you know, shown its resilience. Uh, against um, just the fluctuation in interest rates that we've been experiencing. So overall, I'd say in line with expectations, and it really hasn't led us to alter our positioning much uh, as it relates to fixed income. You know, we still generally favor all the floating rate segment, the senior loan or leveraged loan segment, where you can capture that spread without the duration risk, and cautious on the areas that do have a really thin credit spread like investment-grade corporates, but high duration. Um, so that really sums up uh, our, our positioning in fixed income. And, and Frank, uh, who cover, covers more of the preferred security side, can elaborate a bit more on that. Yeah, uh, when it comes to preferreds, they tend to, I mean, this is a generalization, but they kind of tend to perform somewhere in between your, your investment-grade 
uh, and your high yield sectors. So, you know, as, as Barry alluded to, the investment grade corporates experienced some some headwinds uh, for most of this year, but certainly in in, in, in recent weeks. Uh, whereas high yield is holding up a bit better, uh, owing primarily to its uh, you know higher coupons and, and greater carry that you get from the sector. Uh, but from my perspective, with respect to the preferreds uh, and preferred stocks, which is my area of focus. Now, looking back, coming into mid-year, it seemed like we were in the eye of the hurricane uh, in preferreds and, and, quite frankly, probably most fixed-income sectors. And I say that because you know, we started the year with this pretty dramatic spike in interest rates during the first quarter. That led to losses in the preferred, uh, preferred security sector and most fixed-income sectors during the first quarter. And then throughout the second quarter, we saw rates actually declining, and that helped uh, produce gains that more than offset those first quarter losses. So the environment was more supportive at mid-year. And again, it felt like the eye of the hurricane. But, you know, that environment also drove prices, preferred stock prices specifically, higher. And, and it drove preferred uh, yield premiums lower to, to historic tights. And it left the preferred stock sector, the preferred security sector, vulnerable to another rate spike. And that is exactly what we got. We saw the 10-year Treasury yield begin to surge after the September Fed meeting, the minutes of which we just got this week, as I mentioned at the start of the call. Uh, after the Fed meeting in late September, September 21st, 22nd, the 10-year Treasury uh, began rising substantially all the way up to 1.6% uh, uh, last week. And, and that was a pretty dramatic move from less than 1.2% in early August. So, again, it felt like we, we the eye of the hurricane in the mid-year had sort of passed. And, and those storm winds, those headwinds were really beginning to whip around again. And so overall preferreds were just flat for the third quarter and also just flat for September. Now, we did see uh, yield premiums widen a bit in late September, early October as prices pulled back. But, you know, they've ratcheted back in this week uh, as Treasury rates have drifted lower. Prices uh, the preferred space have rebounded and those yield premiums have tightened back in. So, you know, we will continue to, to see an upward bias in rates. That's our view here in CIO. We'll continue to see the 10-year Treasury uh, drift higher. And when it comes to preferreds, there's still not a whole lot of cushion in those preferred yield premiums to absorb those higher rates. So we look for just marginally positive returns for 2021. Uh, but between now and year end, we could continue to see more volatility. And Dan, we could even see a broader pullback in the preferred space. So that's something to watch out for. Well, Frank Barry, thank you for providing some reflections on trends you're picking up on within performance and fixed income in these early days of Q4, as well as performance leading up to Q4 outlook commentary as well. And that, that's a perfect segue. Perhaps, Frank, you can expand a bit on CIO's overall market outlook and maybe speak to some notable points of interest next week that you'll be keeping an eye out for. Absolutely. In terms of... Um well, let me start with what we're looking for specifically last uh, next week, and then uh, you know maybe Barry and I we could talk, we could talk about the outlook. But in terms of some notable items uh, to look for uh, 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 next week, we will get the Fed's Beige Book survey on Wednesday. This is always released um, two weeks ahead of of each Fed meeting, and over the past few months, this has been an important report because the survey respondents 
have been indicating tight labor markets, uh, ongoing inflationary pressures, and widespread widespread uh, 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 supply chain disruption. So we will get an update on those trends uh, next Wednesday. That will be key. I would point out uh, here at CIO, our view is that the supply chain bottlenecks will uh, become resolved. These issues will recede. If we look at some of the specific events that uh, have really uh, uh, led to some of these supply chain bottlenecks, uh, whether it's you know the 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 COVID wave in in Southeast Asia that has uh, led to a reduction in in manufacturing there, you know that uh, is beginning to recede as as vaccines and treatments become more widespread. So that will help. Uh, that supply chain pressure there. As we look at some of the petrochemical plants uh, that had to be shut down in in the Gulf because of bad weather, those are are beginning to recover and come back online. And some of the bottlenecks at the ports are stabilizing. So again, it's our view that these supply chain bottlenecks uh, may continue certainly into the fourth quarter, but they'll just gradually become more resolved. But again, in terms of uh, the preview for next week, a key a data point will be the Fed's Beige Book Wednesday, which will give us some more specific highlights. Barry, what will you be looking for, uh, for example, next week? And- yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, at this point, we're thinking about like, what are really the key indicators for the Fed? And the big as you mentioned, Frank, being one of them. Um, beyond that, uh, probably we'll have to wait until we get uh, the third quarter GDP and the PCE deflator, now that's not until really the end of October. But in the interim, continue to monitor corporate earnings that will continue in earnest uh, next week. So, uh, you know, expect much of the focus uh, to be on earnings releases. Uh, so next week we get about 74 of the S&P 500 companies uh, reporting with uh, a good chunk of those being in both the financial as well as the industrial sectors. So we'll be looking for any commentary on the supply chain bottlenecks, you know, from the industrials, which will start reporting uh, next week. But overall, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's really all about, you know, Fed positioning into no- the November meeting. And at this point, you know, the, our, the view, the house view from CIO is that it would really take a pretty big shock between now and the November 3rd Fed meeting uh, to derail the start of, of tapering. So, you know, all um, indicators seem to suggest, you know, that to be on, on track, uh, even with the looks like better than expected retail sales numbers that just uh, hit the tape a moment uh, a few minutes ago this morning. Uh, so mm-hmm. everything about the transition as it relates to the Fed, you know, remaining on track as they, hinted in this week's uh, Fed Minute. Um, and, and I would just uh, re- just just to deal off of, of what Barry was just saying in terms of the earnings, that's really going to be key, and this kind of ties into our outlook at CIO. We continue to favor equities, um, and we continue to have a, a positive outlook on equities and, and the S&P 500 uh, specifically. And, you know, these uh, supply chain issues notwithstanding, it's our view that, um, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get uh, uh, evidence this is something we'll be looking for as earnings season plays out. But our expectation is that continued revenue growth uh, from, from, uh, from companies will more than offset 
some of the uh, the, the uh, cost issues that they're seeing because of the supply chain issues, and that will carry uh, uh, that will re- that will translate into strong earnings, which will support equities. Uh, uh, certainly for the, uh, the, the for the next quarter, the next several uh, months, and then that'll take us into 2022, at which point we expect those supply chain issues to uh, become resolved. Frank Barry, always a very informative and productive conversation. Very helpful to hear from CIO's vantage point uh, what the path forward for market performance might look like. And next week will be interesting with the Fed Beige Book release, among other points of interest as well. Though, Frank Barry, thank you for dropping by top of the morning to round out the week and to speak to what drove market activity. Preview for us what to expect in the week ahead. Looking forward to continuing the conversation with you both. Though in the meantime, I wish you both a nice weekend ahead. Thank you again. Thank you. Have a great week. Thank you very much. And again, today we've been joined by both Frank Saleo and Barry McAlinden, Senior Fixed Income Strategists Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Now, for clients of UBS, you could, of course, contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about topics covered on today's podcast or if you would like to receive any publications or blogs from the Chief Investment Office directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.